Welcome to Meet the Developers at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. To mark World AIDS Day 2014, Apple and leading app developers are inviting customers to help Red achieve the goal of an AIDS-free generation. A special selection of the App Store, called Apps for Red, will offer 25 apps with exclusive new content where all proceeds will go directly to the World AIDS Fund. Apps for Red marks the first ever global App Store initiative in support of Red. Participating developers have created Red-inspired content and experiences for their fans to enjoy, including CSR Racing. For CSR Racing, there is new in-game thrills with the highly anticipated Mercedes-Benz AMG GT. Thank you. Would you please welcome our guest moderator for this evening, Tori Campbell. <laughs> Thank you very much. Lovely to see you all here this evening on a gorgeous Christmassy night here in Regent Street. Uh, so it's a really exciting event here tonight. CSR Racing is really proud to be participating in the Apps for Red promotion um, on the App Store. And it's a really unique promotion. 25 apps and games created and an exclusive piece of Red content, which is available to buy for two weeks only. And uh, the really important thing with this is 100% of those proceeds, of course, go to Red's Global Fund to fight AIDS. And uh, this evening, we have two really rather special guests to chat through this uh, unique game. Um, so I'd like you to uh, give a very warm welcome to the stage. Torsten Rahl, CEO of Natural Motion and the makeup behind CSR Racing. And of course, David Coltard of F1 fame. To begin with, though, I want to have a chat with you, David, because, of course, if we're talking about skills that a driver needs, who better to ask? You had an unbelievable F1 career. You um, had 13 Grand Prix wins. You had uh, 62 podium finishes as well. And when you retired, you were one of Britain's, uh, one of the best British F1 racers out there. What skills does a driver need to be the best? Well, when you said that, uh, you know, I, I might be one of the good guys to know about uh, skillful driving, I, I, I was thinking there you were going to get Lewis Hamilton to come in as well, the current world champion. He, he would be the best guy for that um, from the modern era, of course. But I think that uh, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, Formula One cars, whether it's designing games, whether it's, it's any any other industry. You, you've got to have a passion for what you do. You've got to have an attention to detail. Um, you've got to be uh, focused and determined. Uh, clearly, uh, driving a race car quickly is, um, is all about knowing where the physical limit is. There, there is a limit to how fast that car will go through the corner. It is defined by physics. It's the amount of downforce that the car will generate. It's the uh, tire compound, the interaction between the rubber and the tarmac. Um, a little bit like a golf course where when it's, uh, if you play in the morning and it's moist, then there's a different roll to the ball on that wet grass. Uh, a racetrack is a living thing. So if you drive a racetrack in the morning when it's cold, the interaction with the tires gives you a different grip level than you'll have on that very same track. Um, you know, several hours later, later, um, you know, when the track temperature has gone up. So the, the drivers have to not only have the the skills to, to know how to balance a car through the corner, but they need to be able to read the track, read the road, read changing conditions, and do all that at more than 200 miles an hour. Yeah, unbelievable. And in fact, let's go back to Lewis Hamilton, because you mentioned him, obviously, this year's world champion. 
What do you think set him apart from the other drivers, particularly those that were powered by Mercedes? Well, I think a perfect example is between Lewis and his teammate Nico Rosberg. Um, in the end, they were both very close to matched in terms of speed. And if, for what it's worth, uh, Nico uh, scored more pole positions than Lewis Hamilton did. But Lewis has an ability um, to race wheel to wheel, which I think is a, a very high level uh, and possibly at the moment higher than that of, of Nico. Uh, he also has the benefit of having been in a world championship battle four times before. He's won one championship, um, now two, of course, where Nico, that's the first time he's, he's had the cut and thrust of the media spotlight, the demands on his time, the expectation of being in a winning car. So I think Nico will be a much stronger competitor for Lewis next season, having had that, that uh, experience during the course of this year. But the one thing, uh, irrespective of whether you're a fan of Nico, a fan of Lewis, or whatever driver or team you follow, you have to acknowledge that when Lewis is wheel-to-wheel -wheel with another driver, you know something exciting is going to happen. He has an instinctive ability to know where to place his car. Um, yes, his, his early skills have been honed through karting, but that's the same for Nico and for Fernando and all of these other drivers. Um, but I think that you know, he just has a work ethic, a passion, and an innate ability to know where to put his, his car on the racetrack. Yeah, it, it was great watching, actually, to see it battle out between the pair of them. Um, Let's talk about, obviously, any Formula One fans that are here would know that there were major changes that came into play this season. How much has it actually changed since you were driving? Well, the, this year has been the biggest step change in the regulations that we've seen from an engine point of view for some time. If you actually do a direct comparison with the Formula One cars today with the cars that I last raced in 2008, aerodynamically, the cars are... Um, less efficient in as much that they have, well, sorry, that's incorrect. They're more efficient, but they have, because of regulation change, they have less downforce. So the physical load that pushes the car down into the tarmac is less than when, when I was last competing. That's because the governing body, the FIA, are trying to control the speeds of which the cars go around the racetrack. Um, that's largely driven by safety. Uh, the uh, you know the impact is the square of the speed. So if you can slow down the speed at which a driver is going to have the accident, you're reducing significantly the uh, the amount of energy that's going to go through the car and ultimately through the human body. Um, but the big regulation change this year that has been really divisive, I think, for the fans is the hybrid engines. Um, you know the engines still produce uh, just under 800 horsepower. But uh, 160 horsepower of that is, is stored energy in the battery packs. Part of that is coming through the kinetic energy that's, that would have been wasted through uh, braking. And the, uh, the remaining amount is coming through using the, the heat that's expelled and spinning the, the turbo around. Um, you have a motor generator unit on the turbo, which um, is also charging the battery packs. So um, the engines, therefore, are a lot quieter than we've had in the past. Those of you who follow Formula One will know that we don't have this, this sort of throaty V8 noise that you would have in the GT um, Mercedes, um, which is also a turbo engine but doesn't have the, uh, the hybrid element. And uh, of course, to, to spin up the turbos, then the RPM is much lower on these engines than we had. You know, uh, There was a period in Formula One when I was racing, we had more than 20,000 RPM available, uh, which was restricted to 18,000 RPM at the end of my career. Now they're probably shifting around 12,000 RPM. There's, there's not an actual physical limit to, to the RPM, but it, it just from a 
efficiency point of view and the way the engines are, are using the 100 kilograms of fuel, which is the other big restriction this year. So um, we've gone, you know, the engines now are about, uh, or the race races of Formula One are about 33 or 34% more fuel efficient than we had in the past because we have this fuel restriction. So the hybrid e energy element is becoming a big part of Grand Prix racing. And, you know, as we know, we, we embrace that today in our road cars. It doesn't matter if it's smart or, you know, various other manufacturers, they all have some form of hybrid element to their production line because it's a big part of what the consumer wants. Yeah, that's one of the fantastic things that we can actually see it now mm. happening in our own cars or the cars that are being manufactured. Yeah. Uh, talking about technology, Torsten, let's bring you back in. What um, effect has this new technology had actually on video games? So technology in general obviously is, is what's, what's, what's driving video games in many ways. I mean, what we always try and do is, is do something that is feels believable and feels like something that is a, is a real authentic experience. And in many ways, what that means is that you need to simulate how nature works. And for cars, that very often means, you know, cars are obviously in many ways visual objects and you want to make them look as, as beautiful as possible. And for that, you need processing power to you know, be able to simulate the way light behaves, the way light bounces off um, car paint, the overall body. And for that, you know, you need fast chips. And what's been great to see over the last few years, um, especially um, on the Apple devices, is just more and more processing power. So if you compare what a game looks like on a, on a games console, on a maybe PlayStation or, or an Xbox, and now look at what's possible on a touch device, um, on an iOS device in your hand, it's now not only close, and in some ways now it's going beyond of what was possible on a games console. And that's pretty amazing um, to assume, given that this is a small device and has so much processing power. So we spend a lot of time on making the game look good. We um, create things that are called shaders that make the reflections of the car and of the car paint look really good. We work very closely with car manufacturers, in particular just now Mercedes, on actually using the original CAD data from the car, from the AMG GT, to then faithfully reproduce that in the game and make it look as realistic as possible. And that kind of thing would have been impossible just a few years ago. So technology is an enabler for, for us. It's not there to just be there for its own sake. It's there to create something amazing. And does it give you a good excuse to get into a load of sports cars? And it does <laughs> do that too, actually, which is, which is extremely useful. I have not driven the AMG GT myself yet, but uh, I'm assured it's an amazing car. Yeah. In fact, let's go on to that. Uh, to begin with, um, let's just touch on about AMC, uh, Mercedes AMG in general, because actually it's... Um, it's, it's not as straightforward as it sounds under the umbrella of Mercedes. It's its own sports car manufacturer via Daimler. You'd probably be able to explain it far better than me. Well, that, that's exactly it. If you look at what AMG started as, it started as a race team. Uh, it started, um, you know, where it's, uh, it's based is uh, the original base where um, Mr. Alfrecht, who is the A in AMG, um, based the company, and the company's still based around that facility um, today. Um, it was acquired by Mercedes-Benz when they realized that it was uh, doing a lot of uh, um, you know, upgrades and performance enhancement of the Mercedes products along with other brands that were doing that. And it's become the sports car element of the, the Mercedes uh, product range. Um, the GT, which is featured in the, the game, is the second of uh, from ground up designs that have been handled by the AMG design squad. Um, and like a racing team, 
it uh, is manufactured by a small dedicated group of people. So this is something I can really relate to. Uh, a race with, um, with the uh, HWA team, which was born out of uh, AMG and DTM and uh, the German touring car, sorry, a lot of uh, initials there. Uh, and the, the, the way that you go about running a racing team is about you know, dedicated groups of individuals involved in the design phase, taking it to the racetrack, developing that in hand with the driver and bringing it back and, and ultimately selling that on to the customer. So, you know, AMG is, I think, um, you know, I would be biased in this, of course, but I think it's, uh, it's one of the, the ultimate sports car brands. You know, I'm very proud to be able to work with them. Um, I was a, a customer before working with them, so I think that's as, as good of an endorsement uh, as any. And from my, from my end, I, I get to be part of testing, developing, and driving and every day these products which you can take on the racetrack, but you can also very comfortably do the school run. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a bad. Could you imagine being picked up from school in that? <laughs> wow. Uh, so I guess that sort of explains actually their handcrafted by racers motto, doesn't it? Um, now, let's actually talk about the new Mercedes AMG GT. I was lucky enough to see the car when it was launched this year and it's beautiful. Maybe you could tell us a few more of the technical elements the car has. Well, as I mentioned, it's uh, the second car that's been designed and built exclusively by the, the AMG design team. Um, from my point of view, it, it's, uh, it's you know, very similar in some of its styling to, to the SLS, but from my point of view, it's, it's more tightly packaged, smaller car, um, lighter. So uh, although uh, in the GTS mode, it's, uh, it's got just over 500 horsepower, which enables it, you know, that statistic that everyone gets excited about, the not to 60, I think it's about 3.7 seconds. Um, you know, it's, it's a very efficient power unit, V8, bi-turbo. Um, it's a so-called hot V, and that the turbos are mounted inside the V of the engine, which is, from a packaging point of view, desirable. Traditionally, of course, exhaust manifolds and turbos are, are mounted externally. Um, what else do you, do, would you need to know about the car? Uh, Styling-wise, I think that uh, you know it's got a very uh, sport styling. Driving-wise, it's uh, got what I think is a fairly optimal weight distribution, which gives the driver the opportunity to really balance that on the racetrack. Um, it's got all of the AMG uh, bells and whistles, the various uh, adjustments that you can make for uh, damping, electronic dampers, sports modes, everything that you would need if you were taking it on a track day. And then, of course, as I said earlier, if you want to do the school run, it's got a, a, a nice, nice simple button that you put in comfort mode that will optimize all of the, uh, the performance to make it you know, something that can be driven around town. Yeah, so they, there's all the, the technical elements of it. What we want to know is how does it feel when you're driving it? Well, it feels great. And yeah. you know, the, the whole um, strap line and the whole understanding of this being designed and built by people that understand racing, you know, that, that's not just marketing. This is a car that can be taken on the racetrack. And in many cases, depending on what particular choice you make on your own uh, tires, um, that's the limiting factor. You know, these are, these are braking systems that can be driven hard like a racing car repeatedly, which is not always the case with, with other so-called sports brands. Um, torque, drivability, the ability for the driver to, to feel that, you know, he, he's in control of the vehicle, you know, influencing. Uh, his own destiny is something which uh, I think is, is really raw and really pleasurable when you drive this car. 
Um, not everyone has raced a Grand Prix car, but not everyone has to have raced a Grand Prix car to be able to appreciate the performance. Yeah, I mean, it's so important having that real feel and, and knowing what it's like to actually be behind the wheel. Um, I, th I guess, Torsten, with um, graphics and um, technology, you're able to maybe emulate that a little bit better? I, I think so, yeah. I mean, <coughs> again, the more processing power we have, the more we can make the car feel believable. I was just going to say about the AMG GT, um, it's also a, a really, really amazing sounding car, which I think f for a car that has turbos is, is not always a given. Um, and that, uh, that's one of the things I think that we want to make sure that we get across even better in the future because the, the sound of a car is, is incredibly important, obviously, in terms of the emotion of it. Mm. And. Um, and what about the experience that the player gets with, in terms of graphics, in terms of looking around the car? How much detail does it go into? Well, so as I said, I mean, we use the original CAD data and, and hopefully I'll have a chance to show you a little bit later what the car actually looks like. So the fidelity that we can get to is, is already very high. Um, you can see reflections that are realistic. You can see wheels that are realistic. We can go into quite a lot of detail overall. It needs to feel like a real car. And again, we now have the power to do all of that um, on, a, on a touch device. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? What about the reaction that you've had from your players so far? It's been amazing. So, I mean, overall, we, we, because we have a huge user base, um, it's interesting to see how many um, people obviously play the game, but also how many people have been downloading the game now that they've seen the new icon. Um, so we've changed the icon, the CSR icon, and have the AMG GT in red on it. We had a lot of downloads, but what's also been really great for us to see is a lot of people who've played CSR in the past and maybe stopped playing because they've finished all the single-player content have actually started playing the game again because of the AMG GT in it and because of the uh, because of the rep promotion. And I have to say, I'm one of those people. I actually finished all the content in the game, and I recently started playing the game again because because of the of the car that's now in there. So the reaction has been amazing. Um, if you look on social media, what's been happening with the game, um, a lot of people talking about it, a lot of people retweeting it, um, a lot of people posting pictures of the car, the specific AMG GT, the red version. So it's been, it's been amazing. Yeah, so let's talk about the um, style of racing, um, drag racing in particular. This in um, CSR racing, not only has it been portrayed as slightly illegal um, drive street racing, which you've seen made famous in films such as Fast and the Furious. Uh, in a controlled environment, this style of racing actually is a brilliant tool um, to help train up and coming drivers, uh, especially racing drivers. And one thing that I didn't realize with drag racing is not only have you got to take off much quicker than your opponent, you also have to come to a stop in a designated area. And that's not something that I actually realized happened. What sort of skills do you need, David, for that sort of driving? Well, it's something you see quite often in Top Gear, don't you, when, they, when those guys are doing different acceleration tests and braking tests and what have you. It's a very good visual representation of, of power, performance, you know, horsepower is all fine and well, but if, if it's uh, got a lot of weight strapped around it, then you're not going to be very efficient. So to try and get the right balance between acceleration, the driver interaction of making sure you shift at the optimal moment to make sure that you get, you know, maximum acceleration, use all the torque that's available. Uh, if it doesn't have a launch mode, then of course, in real life terms, controlling wheel spin, um, because all fine and well, having smoke coming off your tires looks great for your buddies but it's actually not very efficient to be uh, spinning up the tires. Um, acceleration in many ways uh, from a racing driver's point of view is fairly straightforward. The braking is the real challenge and that's where in driving a racing car that's where people like Lewis Hamilton or whoever your, your favorite driver is really 
can differentiate. Uh, it's very difficult to out-accelerate if you're being efficient with your shifts, and that is a skill, and that is something you have to get right. But it's uh, if you have a higher feel or a higher ability to sort of interact with the car and the road, then you can definitely make a difference in the braking phase. So that is an important part. It's something that the AMG Driving Academy use when they're teaching uh, uh, new owners about the performance of their vehicle. Um, you know, you do it in your driving test, don't you? An emergency stop, put your driving instructor against the windscreen <laughs> if, you, if you really manage to do it uh, before they're, they're expecting. So, um, you know, I, these are all important skills about driving a, by driving a racing car and driving a road car. And what about the Mercedes-AMG GT in particular? How does that fare with those sort of um, tests? Well, the braking is phenomenal. It's yeah. the thing that really sets high-performance sports cars, road cars, and racing cars apart. You know, acceleration you become used to very quickly. Um, you know, even in a Grand Prix car, uh, you know, at one point we, we'd close to a thousand horsepower. But braking is something that is always super impressive um, because of the physical loads. You know, the modern Grand Prix cars will be pulling just under six G, so six times gravitational force under braking, where under acceleration it's probably around three G. You know, lateral load they can pull four and a half. So it is that braking phase which is the most difficult to to balance and control because if you get it wrong, obviously you can spin the car. Uh, and every spin is a potential crash, so you, you certainly don't want to be, be doing that. Um, and in the GT, of course, there's, there's various aids that can, can assist the driver to, to make sure they optimize the braking phase. You can turn those off, of course, if you want that real raw experience of being in control of it all on your own. But personally, for me, uh, technology is always something to be embraced because it makes our life easier. It makes us more efficient. So uh, I'm someone that always drives with all of the all of the tools and all of the driver aids that are available because they're developed to make the experience more enjoyable, more efficient, um, and ultimately, you know, allow you to concentrate on on other things. Yeah, and you're talking about technology as well. Do you think it's easier for our um, F1 drivers now? I, I don't think so personally. I think that technology is something we all embrace. We, you know, you can't force technology on people if it makes things more complicated. But uh, you know, good technology makes our life easier. It makes it more entertaining. It makes it more efficient. And in racing cars, you know, as you get more and more technology to to help you drive the car, it gives you capacity to do other things and really dial down and are making a difference and reading the road and, and, and understanding how to manage your tires or fuel efficiency and things like that. The driver element, you know, for me personally, I don't think it changes whether it was, mm, you know, Fangio's era or Jackie Stewart or Senna or Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso today. If you put them all in the, in the same car today at the same age, uh, sa same age, excuse me, at the peak of their performance, I think they would all be world class because they were in their period. You know, you live for your time, and uh, you you embrace the technologies that are available at that time. And the best, most skilled people will always take that technology and get more out of it. Yeah. So uh, talking about that car, Torsten, how's that that car in particular been received with the game? <coughs> Extremely well. So um, we obviously um, the, the way it works is that the game is available for four ninety nine in the game, $4.99, and um, all the proceeds go to, um, go to Red directly. Um, so overall, it's been um, received extremely well. We're seeing a lot of people obviously tweeting about it, showing the game. We haven't announced yet how many people have actually bought it, but we are extremely pleased with the way it's going. Yeah, fantastic. And what about um, the promotion? How important is that to have that promotion here with uh, Apps for Red? Uh, it's, it's very important. So, I mean, 
it's interesting, like when we first started to uh, talking to Apple about this, it's something that we wanted to do because um, we wanted to support the cause and we also thought it was a great opportunity to bring exclusive content, um, you know, the Mercedes into the game. Um, but overall, um, it's, been, it's been a great opportunity to show the car off and um, to really get in front of a lot of people. And for CSR Racing, it's been, it's been great to see as well. So if you, if you follow the game and you see how many people are playing it, our user numbers have shot up again in response to this campaign. So it's incredibly important. It's great to see that we can do that. It's great for the game, but most importantly, it's great to see that we can support the charity as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to hear all about the game. I think. The most important thing is to have a look at it, though, and who better to demo the game than the uh, maker Hopefully himself. I am the best person to do it. Let's have a look. <laughs> now I've we can check out here. your skills. So, uh, yeah, let's have a, uh, a take a look at the CSR racing. So this is the game. Um, and if you haven't played it, as I was saying before, it's all about drag racing. In, in fast cars, you upgrade them, you compete with, um, with other players um, in the world. And as I said, it's over 100 million players um, that are playing the game. And this here is the AMG GT in the red color, the official red color. And I just want to point out a little bit of the detail here and the lighting that you've got in the game. We really took care to make sure that this is something that looks really special. If you look at the reflections, for example, of the paint um, on the wheels, um, but also even on the glass, we really try to get across um, just the beauty of the car and the design. And we find that people, I think, really connect to this. We find that people actually take pictures of themselves um, in terms of at least the, the, uh, the license plates. You can actually change the license plate to put your name on it. And a lot of people um, tweet pictures of the car and their name on the car. We really want you to feel like you almost own this car when you see it in the, in the game. But let me do something more interesting, which is actually take the car out and use it. Um, so what I want to do is just do a quick race. And all the races in CSR Racing are quite quick. Um, I'll try and do a sub 10 second time in the quarter mile here. Let's see if I can achieve that. So this is the starting line. And here's actually an SLS that I'm racing against. So what I need to do is get the reps right, and then off we go. And I shift up, hopefully, hopefully at more or less the right time. And I would say this is a slam dunk. And I won. Excellent. <laughs> and I managed to do it 9.3 seconds, which I'm actually quite pleased with. That's uh, one <laughs> of my better times. Phew. <laughs> 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 Excellent. Um, so that's, that's how the game works, and that's really how short it is. That's how short the races are. You can actually order a coffee, and you can race, and you can, you can take your coffee afterwards. You don't have to sit down with the, with the iPad for 20 minutes to finish a race, or in fact, I guess, over an hour in, in Formula One races. Wow. So that's my short demo. Fantastic. Well, I think um, we've got such a unique uh, chance to have both these gents up on stage. I think we should uh, open it up to the audience, and if we've got any questions, yeah, and straight up. If you wait for the microphone to come around, there we go. What a Hi. pro. Uh, <laughs> my question is to David. So looking ahead to the 2015 F1 season, do you think we'll see Mercedes carry that same level of dominance that we've seen this year? Or do you think other teams will catch up? Well, I think that they, they really aced it with the inter integration of uh, the new hybrid technology and the engine and, of course, the chassis de design. So I don't think that um, despite Red Bull, for instance, having won three Grand Prix and been able to simulate quite closely what the offset and uh, power performance uh, would enable them to do if they had the Mercedes engine versus the, the Renault engine, um, you know, they acknowledge that the Mercedes Grand Prix chassis and aerodynamic package 
is very good as well. So they've really, you know, the reason they were so dominant is they've managed to, to, to ace uh, both chassis and uh, engine design. Very difficult to imagine that Renault, Ferrari, and even Honda coming in will be able to close that gap entirely. But certainly with some upgrades they're allowed to do in the winter, I would expect they will be able to you know, learn from the experience of this year. You get diminishing returns when you're closer to the peak of performance. So for Mercedes, although they believe they've got some upgrades that are possible to, to bring for the engine as well, you, you, you just have to presume that the others will be able to close the, the gap a little bit more. Um, but I, I don't see any reason why Mercedes fans should be nervous that Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg won't have the chance to battle for the championship again next year. Um, you know, I'm curious to, to see. It's, it's been fascinating to watch them to battle within the team itself. But of course, what would really make Formula One uh, more interesting and a wider appeal is if you've got more teams, more drivers that genuinely have a chance of winning. Um, so it's for the others to get their finger out and, you know, develop a better package. Hi, question for David. Um, we saw in the last race uh, Lewis and Nico on the front and uh, we watched Lewis accelerate away quite shockingly. What, what do you put that down to? Because they talked about the temperature difference from the shade to the light. They also talked, Lewis was talking about his clutch setting just before. What, what would you say shot him off the line? Well, there's many different things that you can do to optimize the start. Um, the, the drivers do what's called a, a clutch bite point find. So when you pull out of the garage, because these clutches are carbon, because there's a huge amount of heat and energy that goes through them when you, when you leave the garage, they're, they're constantly wearing and they're constantly, therefore, changing in the way that they, they actually engage. So they'll, they'll be able to, through finding the, the bite point, um, reset some of the settings to either engage the clutch more aggressively or to have it slip a little bit more if you like. They do what's called a double clutch paddle start. So although there's only one clutch in the car, they'll use both the paddles on the back of the steering wheel. One will be completely depressed and the other one will be held usually in line with the back of the gear shift just to give you a reference point. So you get the initial reaction by dropping that clutch um, paddle when the lights go out and then after about a second you then feed in the second clutch so th there's a number of different things that will affect the the start the clutch itself the physical you know wear of the clutch from when you do the initial test to when you do the start um, tire temperature circuit temperature all of that chemical interaction with the rubber uh, dust and dirt on the racetrack uh, historically pole position in Abu Dhabi which is the race you're talking about I think of the what five races we've had there pole position has only gone on to win once you know so historically it's not been a very good place to be which is very different to someone like Monte Carlo so you've got your Monaco t-shirt on there so um, you know that's a place you do want to be on the front row and certainly in pole position is a big advantage they're just tiny differences but those tiny differences can look like a huge amount when it's played out on a drag strip start. You know, the start of a Grand Prix is, a, is actually a very good representation of, of what your game is. Uh, the, dr the driver doesn't steer at all, pretty much, unless he's having to make some you know, uh, adjustments to uh, place an overtake. But when you go off the line, the last thing you want to do is steer the car. You ideally want to go as straight as possible because you allow the path of least resistance. Every time you turn the steering, you effectively put on front scrub. And as you put scrub against the tarmac, it reduces the acceleration. It's marginal, but you're trying to, at that moment, just deal with the acceleration, the grip that's available, and shifting absolutely on the right point. The drivers have an in-ear audio, which tells them when to shift. There's lights as well. 
but it was just found to be more efficient if the drivers can hear a little peep or a little poop or a little ping, whatever your noise is, can be tuned um, for you to get the reference for when you should shift. But sometimes you're distracted and your reaction isn't quite as good as it should be. My son James is obsessed with his Formula One, but especially the 50s, the 60s and 70s. Which driver would you like to have raced against in that era and why? Well, the, you know, I know a little bit about the history of, of Formula One and all the big names, the world champions, they, they all had different personalities, different nationalities, drove for different teams. Um, you know, we look back on the past, um, a sort of golden era of, of racing when the cars were quite raw, very little technology in terms of elect electronic sophistication. But of course, they were still developing uh, aerodynamically and mechanically, they were, you know, hand-drawn on a drawing board works of, of art, modern art at that time, historical art now. So, uh, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of romantic visions of, of the past. But as I said earlier, I don't think it matters if it's Fangio or Senna or Jackie Stewart or any of these guys. At their peak of performance, if you, if you allowed them to be born at this period of, of technology, I think they would compete on the same level as Lewis and people like that. Who would I like to race against? Um, all the period you're talking about, you know, that was a very dangerous period of Formula One, so I wouldn't have wanted to race in that period because I think during the, the uh, 60s and 70s, you know, they were losing two or three drivers a, a year sometimes. You know, that, that's incredible statistics. And Touchwood, you know, we've not lost a driver in 20 years now. Obviously, Joe Bianchi is, is still in a serious condition in, in hospital in France. But, you know, I think it says a lot for the safety aspect and the modern technology, the, you know, the crash testing and things like that. But yeah, the greats are great because they were great at what they did and you know, they're inspiring to 12-year-olds and you know, old codgers like myself. Hi, that's a question for David as well. Uh, what is the most important element of the mental preparation before a Formula One race? Well, I think having a focus on the job in hand, having a clear mind, you know, not having a clutter, having a confidence in your team, um, you know, having a game plan, uh, you, you know, ultimately, w when you race a Grand Prix car, or any car for that matter, there's a, there's a reactive element, so you can only plan a certain amount. Um, but the best way to, to be prepared for the unexpected, or, the, or certainly the uncharted territory, which is coming up in the race itself, is just to have really taken care of all the details, all your homework, um, your setup, your planning, to visualize your laps, to visualize what might happen at the start, because you build layers of, of representation in your own mind that then when it does, if it does happen, it's not a surprise. You have a, a way to react to it. So that's why experience is always going to be, you know, raw talent will get you there, but experience can make the difference. Um, application in any job, I think, it doesn't matter whether it's in software design, I'm sure you see it with some of the team of people that you have. You'll have some that are very spontaneous and natural, but maybe not quite as detailed in their planning. You'll have others that are more diligent and and how they go about it. But you need all of those different skills to bring together a team of people to, to ultimately compete on the, you know, the world stage. So you, know, you hear the drivers today, there's still a lot of interaction with their engineers telling them about adjustments they can make to the car. Personally, I don't think that takes away from the driving experience. Some people have the view it does, just because we never had it 20 years ago. But again, that's living in the past. And I think you know, your, your industry is all about living for you know, the excitement of the future. You, you were saying about chip capacity and software. And, you know, can you give us an insight, actually, to, to what, what's around the corner? What's the next big thing that's going to give us 
the, the, the better experience? Well, I, I, I don't have any particular insights, unfortunately, but, um, but I do think that overall what happens is that, that there can be step changes, right? So what we used to do uh, most of the time is kind of try and make things look like the real thing um, by uh, emulating it. And actually, the way we started at Natural Motion as a company was we tried to simulate humans and human movement. Because what used to happen a lot was that in games in particular, people played back animations um, to make them look more or less realistic. So they filmed real humans and played those animations back. But the more computing power we had, the more we could actually, rather than pretend um, to make it look like the real thing, we could actually simulate the real processes. So now we are actually able to simulate the neural networks that drive muscles in a physically simulated body to create something that's completely interactive and actually moves like a real human because it's based on the fundamentals. And that's what more and more computing power gives us. We can move towards actually simulating real life. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Not related to cars, apologies for that. <laughs> Torsten, do you feel the pressure actually when you're um, designing these games to, to make sure that it's totally accurate? Because we hear, we've talked about past F1 drivers and we hear about future F1 drivers possibly coming up the ranks and um, finding that they've got a skill for driving through gaming. Yeah. Do you find that that's a real pressure for you to ensure that you get it spot on and accurate? Um, there is certainly um, uh, some pressure. It's, it's less to necessarily kind of be, a, 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 I guess, a driving school for, for real racing drivers, to be fair. I mean, we have to take some creative liberties here and there um, with the game. But there is pressure that, more than anything else, we put it upon ourselves to make it feel authentic. It, to us, it can't just feel like a game. It needs to feel like whatever your skills are, for example, the way you rev the engine, finding the, the optimal point, um, needs to be at least somewhat useful in real life. So you talked earlier about you, you don't want to kind of do a burnout, right? You, you, it looks great. It's the same in our game. We have smoke, but it doesn't give you the best start. So you need to be able to take some of the things that you know from real life or that at least feel authentic from real life and apply them to the game, and they still need to be able to make sense. Great. I, I think we've got time for about two more questions, I believe. Yep, gentlemen at the back here. Um, just a question for both of you, really. Um, how influential do you think uh, gaming is on the um, motor racing industry, and vice versa, really? How influential is the motor racing industry on gaming? Well, if, if, if I uh, start, the, when I um, uh, was racing at McLaren, we, we had what was a very early version of what is now a very sophisticated driver simulator. But back then, it was literally you know, a sort of glorified PlayStation of the time. You sat inside a carbon chassis, but it, it you, you know, just to give you the feeling that you were there. Now, the, uh, the simulation technology that the Formula One teams use with restricted testing, you know, they, they fill rooms the size of this Apple store. You know, these are seriously sophisticated, state-of-the-art simulation tools which give the driver as much sense of being in the real environment. What you can't replicate so far is the fear the fear of crashing, and fear is something which is uh, an important part in, in anything that's involving speed and danger. You know, fear it releases adrenaline, and adrenaline focuses your mind. So uh, that's the only element that, that maybe they need to have, I don't know, a tiger in there that's hungry or something to, you know, if you make a mistake, it'll come and eat you. But um, the, the, the visual representation now is so good and they have things, um, movement sensors to really generate, they can't generate 6G, um, but what they can do is with helmet loaders, generate the sensation of the driver having to work against the loading when he's in the corner. You know, all of the things that if any of you have been in, um, you know, uh, 
whatever the, the state-of-the-art gaming machines are now, you know, the vibration if you go over the curb, the, the sort of tilt motion as you change gears, all of that, of course, is in the car, but it's trying to put them in a situation where they, they're so immersed in the driving experience and the feedback is so good that the fact that it isn't raining in Monaco going into Casino Square doesn't enter the driver's mind when they're, when they're developing new, you know, aerodynamic setups or new mechanical setups you know most of the cars now are designed in in the virtual world of course uh, Adrian Newey who works at Red Bull still uses a drawing board but he's one of one of a handful of people who do everything else is CAD CAM um, uh, with CFD um, simulation the wind tunnel is still used as a proving ground but less and less now and uh, I think I remember like a few years ago, Jacques Villeneuve actually used um, video games yeah. to, to actually try and memorize um, certain tracks. Yeah, he's, he's a big gamer. He always has been a huge gamer. When, when he was racing in Formula One and we'd travel around the, the world often t together, wherever hotel he was staying in, he had to have the, the most powerful internet connection. Um, and, uh, you know, he was gaming with people all around the world and learning tracks and use it as a big part of his visualization. And, um, well, he won a world championship. So, you know, maybe I should have spent a bit more time doing that. <laughs> I believe we've got one more question down the front here. Uh, David, um, obviously this season at Mercedes has been a lot of inter-team rivalry. Um, what insight can you give us on that? Obviously, you had team orders in '97, pulling over in '98, various collisions yeah. with Mika. What? How? How was the environment in the team after all those occasions? Like, yeah, it's very good. It's a good point actually, and and it's quite interesting for me because having lived through, you know, ultimately Mika and I didn't battle head to head for for the world championship. He won his two titles against uh, Michael. And when, when I was finishing in front of Mika on the odd occasion when we were teammates, it, it didn't turn out to be a world championship year. I was actually on the, the flight over to London today. Uh, Mika was on the, the plane and we were reminiscing. We see each other quite often because he's also an AMG brand ambassador and we do other things together. Um, the, the because of the seven years we spent together as competitors and enemies on the racetrack, you really get to know someone uh, to a level. You get to see their poker face. You get to see, you know, the, the, the way that they interact with the team, how they get the best out of the team, how they get the best out of themselves. And it's given a, an underlying understanding of each other that allows us to be, what I would say, very good friends today. We weren't very good friends when we were teammates um, because his success was my failure. My success was his failure when we touched on the racetrack, it was not pleasant in the debrief afterwards. <laughs> you know, it, it never got physical, but uh, his grasp of the English language and use of profanity would, would, uh, would always impress me when he wasn't happy about something. Um, so, you know, I can relate a lot to the inter-team battle between Nico and Lewis. And of course, they go back to being teammates in karting. They're not buddies right now, and they can't be, because they, they, if they're winners, and clearly they are, and and they've got to beat their teammate. It doesn't allow the opportunity to share casual chit chat. Um, you know, they'll, they'll, they live in the same apartment block in Monaco, but they travel separately to the races. They'll, you know, go in and out of the track separately. You, you, you've got to put a distance between you and your competitor to try and get an edge. And when he shows a sign of weakness, you, you try and exploit that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very intense rivalry, and it should be, because it's the pinnacle of motorsport, and you don't often get in sporting contests 
a rivalry where the two main competitors are actually in the same training camp. So in boxing might be a good good example. The two boxers don't train together and then go and fight each other. They, they might know each other's styles because they've watched previous fights, but they train separately, the, the propaganda machine operates separately, and then they come in the ring and they start the competition. So it's a, it's a very unusual situation to be battling with your teammate because everything's there open you see his setup you see his strengths and where he breaks how he changes gear you see his weaknesses um, in many ways it gives you I think a much more open contest because if it's Ferrari against Mercedes or against Red Bull you, you can't really compare the, the, the two drivers but when you've got two guys in the same team with the same opportunity to exploit the technologies that have been developed by that team in any given year putting reliability to one side. It comes down to who who uses those tools to the best of, of their abilities. And this year it was Lewis Hamilton, maybe next year it'll be Nico Rosberg. Mm. It's one of the strangest dynamics of the sport though, isn't it? Mm. To, have, to have such a rivalry with yeah. your teammates. Oh, it's, it's completely <laughs> screwed up. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that's the way the sport's always been, but it doesn't make any sense to have <laughs> two guys in the same team. And, uh, and also one pit stop crew, you know, the, the best way would have two crews because if you're the second car on the track, you can't pit until your teammates decided to stop. He knows that and he can use that to his advantage. Whereas if you could pit at any time, um, you know, it would really start to open up that battle. But unlike NASCAR or IndyCar or other championships where there's two separate pit crews in Formula One, there's one crew doing, you know, two second pit stops. So it's one thing I was always behind the scenes campaigning for because it would give me an opportunity to maybe beat Mika on another level in the race. But if he was in pole position, which he often was, and I was behind him, even if I had the race pace, I, you know, I had to wait for him to decide if he was pitting before I could pit. So it really, you know, it, it gives you a, a, a disadvantage right from the minute qualifying is finished or right from the minute the, the, the race has started. Well, I think that's a, uh, a good note to finish on there. Thank you so much, um, everybody, for joining us this evening. Of course, a huge thank you to Torsten Ryle for joining us and David Coltard. It's a fantastic promotion here. It's a great charity, and it's great that 100% of those proceeds go to charity as well. So it's a really uh, great evening to be part of. Thank you very much.